Why is it that with sparkling water, I'm always playing guessing games with what flavor I'm drinking? Is it citrus? Is it aluminum can flavored? Mm, not sure. Sparkling ice, though, they really mean flavor. Like in-your-face flavor. Orange mango, black raspberry. Don't even get me started on the strawberry lemonade. Kiwi Strawberry slid right into my Taste Buds DMs last night and let them know who's boss. No subtleties there and no sugar either. But it does have vitamins and antioxidants. Find sparkling ice at a major grocery store or club retailer near you. Sparkling ice. Anything but subtle. Richard Nixon. Well, I'm not a crook. Ronald Reagan. Tear down this wall. George W. Bush. I can hear you. The rest of the world hears you. And Donald Trump. And a friend of mine for a long time, he uh, only likes politics. If you ask him about how are the Yankees doing, he has no interest. If you ask him almost anything, he likes politics and he's a professional at the highest level. Roger Stone. All of these presidents relied on one man to secure their seat in the Oval Office. That man is Roger Stone. This is the Roger Stone Show on 77 WABC. Welcome back. I'm Roger Stone, and this is the Roger Stone Show at 77 WABC. Don't touch that dial. You can listen to us worldwide at WABCRadio.com. We're live streaming around the globe. But if you're lucky enough to live in the New York, New Jersey, Connecticut area where I was born and grew up, well, you can find us at 770 on the AM dial. Joining us now, Matthew Colin Taibbi is an American author, journalist, and podcaster. Uh, he has reported on finance, media, politics, and sports. He is a former contributing editor for Rolling Stone. He's the author of several books. He co-hosts a podcast, The Useful Idiots, uh, and he is the publisher of the Racket News on Substack. You can find that at racket.news. I have just subscribed. I urge you to do the same. Matt Taibbi, thank you so much for joining The Roger Stone Show. Thanks for having me on. Uh, I am an admirer of yours. Uh, you were one of the first reporters in the country to be given access to the Twitter files. For those who, I don't know, may be living under a rock, uh, tell us about that story and, uh, and the, uh, what you found and the fallout from it. Sure. So at the end of last year, um, Elon Musk, who had just bought Twitter, decided to open up the internal files uh, of the previous incarnation of Twitter to um, a group of independent journalists. I was really the first. And we looked through uh, tens of thousands of emails and attachments and other documents, and we found ultimately, it took us about a month to find, but we found that there was a sophisticated system of what you might call public-private censorship that worked with the FBI, the Department of Homeland Security, and the Office of the Director of National Intelligence. Um, they were working with companies like Twitter to suppress and make recommendations about content on platforms like Twitter. And um, it was a big story, and it started a, led to, among other things, a Supreme Court case uh, that's going to be litigated this year about government censorship. I think there are a few journalists who can honestly say that they have changed the course of history. I actually think you are one. I'm a, a, I'm a fan of Elon Musk. Uh, uh, he gets 
some criticism, but not from me. Not only did he restore my voice, and I detected no evidence to shadow ban me or hamper my free expression, but this story really changed the course of uh, American politics in many ways. Uh, the, the regime claimed that there was no censorship. We now realize, because of the door that was opened to you by Elon Musk, that that was not the case. This is one of the biggest stories, uh, frankly, uh, of the decade, uh, and I salute you for it. Well, I, I appreciate that, although I didn't really have to do a whole lot. I mean, really, this was about uh, Elon making the decision to open up these documents. It was a bit of a challenge to piece together what actually we were looking at, uh, but I think any any serious journalist who was given this kind of access would have found it eventually. Um, and, you know, I think you're, you make a good point, which is that they had denied this for so long. The government had denied it. The platforms had denied it. And sometimes, you know, the public just needs to get a look at the actual documentation, and it, and it can have a fundamental change on how people think. And I think this is one of those instances. Well, I do notice, though, that you took uh, quite a beating uh, among partisans, bipartisans, uh, for your role in, in just simply reporting the truth. Uh, what I like about your reporting is you're not a partisan, you're not ideological, you're a straight reporter. You report what you find, and you report it uh, unvarnished. Uh, nonetheless, there are many who attacked you. Um, I, I'm, I'm used to being attacked. Uh, I guess you are now, too. Uh, but uh, it has really been, uh, I think, life-changing in terms of the way we view the online role of these giant platforms. Let me point out that we have no such information from Facebook or Instagram. Uh, I can tell you that uh, the same kind of censorship and limitations are being put on people there. My wife has an Instagram profile. I'm not allowed to have one. Uh, the first time she posted uh, what they call a reel, a short video, was a clip of a speech that I gave in Palm Beach. Uh, it, it had, you know, half a million views almost overnight. Uh, then the second time she did so, I think I got, I don't know, 300 views. How is that possible? Uh, I'm grateful to Mrs. Stone for posting that, but uh, the limitations they put on you at Instagram are really quite uh, extraordinary. Uh, you have uh, a, an incredible story, which is why I was so anxious to get you uh, on the show today, uh, that is up at racket.news. Uh, uh, and folks, you can go there to subscribe to this uh, incredible uh, Substack uh, production that, uh, that Matt Taibbi writes. Uh, let me just read the first paragraph to set the table. Uh, you write in a piece uh, entitled, Is the Electoral Fix already in, subtitle, the 2024 presidential race increasingly looks like it will be decided by lawyers and not voters as Democrats unveil plans for America first lawfare. First paragraph, the fix is in to, quote, protect democracy. Democracy is already being canceled. We just haven't admitted the implications of this to ourselves. Uh, and a jumping off point, you cite an NBC News story, which I found shocking, Headlined, fears grow that Trump will use the military in dictatorial ways if he returns to the White House. Tell us about this story. There's a lot to unpack. 
Sure. So uh, three years ago, in actually, I guess it's almost four years ago now, there was a, a group called the Transition Integrity Project um, that had about 100 people in it and included pretty influential figures like John Podesta, Donna Brazil, Bill Crystal, uh, the former RNC chairman Michael Steele. They got together to war game possibilities about what they would do if Donald Trump um, decided not to leave the presidency, uh, and they also war game possibilities of you know what ha- what would happen if Joe Biden uh, lost, but they were also they decided not to adhere to that decision, and there were um, there was a leak about what this group talked about, and they were forced basically to release the results of their report, and it showed that there were you know some of these people were planning or they had made plans to war game up possibilities for uh, objecting to a clear Trump win uh, in case uh, after the election. And so this new news, this new story you refer to in the NBC about, you know, fears grow and uh, about Trump misusing the military, it looks like a reconstitution of this same kind of group that is getting together to plan uh, for contingencies of how to... um, take on the Trump uh, Trump presidency in the event that he wins uh, from the inside. And that's the significance of it. Yeah, it's, uh, this is an, an amazing story because at least in the Russian collusion hoax, they cloaked themselves. Now they're kind of right out there in the open. Uh, the idea that they keep pushing that it is Trump who is a threat to democracy. Now, I speak, of course, as a partisan, but it's the Biden administration seeking to lock up their principal and leading opponent some of you would see in Castro's Cuba or Mao's China or Stalin's Russia. Uh, it is uh, this administration uh, that is uh, using the arms of government to censor and cancel people on social media uh, and uh, through outlets like Google when they have inconvenient uh, political opinions that don't match the regime. Uh, it's this administration that admits that the 702 database was dipped into in excess of 4 million times to illegally access information regarding ordinary Americans. This administration that admits that there were 178,000 warrantless surveillances of American citizens. Who is it that's a threat to democracy? While we're at it, uh, they're trying to knock Donald Trump off the ballot, not let him compete based on a a flawed argument that he's guilty of insurrection when no court has yet convicted him, uh, or he doesn't even, it's not even charged with insurrection as of this time. So that is a subjective opinion of somebody in Colorado or someone in any other state. Uh, These people really are pretty outrageous, but it's it's the same usual suspects from what I can see. Uh, Mark uh, Elias, uh, 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 Mary McCord, who's now a Georgetown law professor. I mean, who who's in this cabal, Matt? Yeah, it's a lot of former um, defense officials, uh, people in the Democratic Party, Democratic Party lawyers. There are foundations um, that are funded by people like the LinkedIn billionaire, um, Reid Hoffman. Uh, you, there, there are a lot of names that appear repeatedly in both groups. Um, there are some connections with Georgetown in both cases. Um, 
but you know, I think what you what you mentioned about you know the, the behavior of say Castro's Cuba or Stalin's Russia. I came of age in as a reporter in Yeltsin's and Putin's Russia. I was I worked over there um, as a young man, and if the, an incumbent president had dropped 120 criminal charges um, on an opponent and uh, tried to get them off the ballot and censored the, their opponent and then uh, put together groups like this to war game possibilities for disqualifying them from uh, contention, uh, that would look like exactly what it is, which is, you know, third world style corruption of democracy. We've just elected not to call it that here in the United States. Um, and I say that as somebody who's never voted Republican. I'm not a Trump fan at all. I, it's, this is just it is what it is. It's um, and it's it's incredible to me that the press has not picked up on it. Uh, it's surprising that, uh, first of all, that NBC ran this story, but it's all surprising that it has gotten as little pickup uh, as it has. Uh, here's the part I found most shocking reading from your article. Uh, you're referring here to the NBC article. The article implied a future Trump presidency will necessitate new forms of external control over the military. It cited Connecticut Senator Richard Blumenthal's bill to, quote, clarify, unquote, the uh, Insurrection Act, a 1972 law that empowers the president to deploy the military to quell domestic rebellion. Blumenthal's act would add a requirement that Congress or the courts ratify presidential decision-making to deploy the military at home, seeking essentially to attach a congressional breathalyzer to the presidential steering wheel. God, you're a great writer. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what it is, basically, right? I mean, you don't get to drive the car unless they say so, right? And I think that's, that's the idea. Um, but yeah, I mean it's 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 incredible, and it's on multiple fronts too. I mean it's the Insurrection Act, it's the Russia investigation, it's deep lawsuits, it's one thing after another, and this is a radical change in kind of the left liberal advocacy space, which I grew up in. Um, they were never this kind of aggressive before, so it's it's a, it's an amazing story. No, look, there was a there was a time that the Democratic Party was the principal critic of the FBI. Back during the Vietnam War, uh, we learned about illicit and illegal efforts to surveil uh, anti-war activists. The, those in the Democratic Party, those on the American left, were outraged, and rightfully so. Uh, we seem to have lost that strain uh, of of progressive Democrat. They call themselves progressives, but they're actually fundamentally against uh, free speech. Uh, and um, as you say in this piece, the Biden administration has been hinting for some time uh, that they intend to win this next election involving something, as you put it, other than voting. You already have, as I said, lawsuits in multiple states to remove Trump from the ballot. Uh, I'm glad to see that the U.S. Supreme Court has agreed to hear the Colorado case, which will presumably set the standards. We've talked about it extensively here on the show with uh, criminal defense attorney and uh, Trump impeachment lawyer David Schoen uh, and others uh, who don't believe, uh, first of all, that the section of the Constitution would be uh, uh, Article 14, Section 3. Uh, first of all, there is no conviction for insurrection. 
secondly, it specifically doesn't pertain to President of the United States. And thirdly, there's a very strong argument that it is not self-executing, that Congress would have to pass a law in order to trigger this. Uh, I noticed over the weekend that uh, the legal analyst at NBC seems to disagree uh, with that. that. That's fine, but there's nobody censoring him on any of the uh, of the uh, of the social media platforms. Yeah, yeah, uh, the, uh, you're absolutely right. Um, the this this uh, argument about the Insurrection Act and uh, and you know the, the series of lawsuits. I think you know even the people involved with the filing of these suits and these most of these suits are backed by uh, Crew. Which is a you know a long time left liberal advocacy organization that once had a reputation for being kind of bipartisan. They had filed complaints against people like Charlie Rangel and Anthony Weiner, uh, but they changed their direction in the mid uh, 2010s, and they're now basically what you could call a lawfare organization, which files these suits. Uh, you know, part of what they're doing is they're trying to chew up resources. Uh, of their political opponents, even if they don't have a high success uh, probability, the, you know, knowing that they have an enormous amount of resources and, and a lot of lawyers to throw at these issues. So they're doing this to everybody, not just Donald Trump. They're doing it to the third-party group No Labels. They're doing this to Robert F. Kennedy Jr. They're doing it to their, uh, the other Democratic Party uh, candidates. Um, there's a lot of money and a lot of lawyers in the space that just are are essentially filing nuisance complaints uh, to try to take up time and resources of their political opponents, which I, I don't think is in the spirit of democracy. With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, motion sounds something like this. Kizik helps you experience the magic of motion. With over 200 patents and easy on, easy off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI. It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Uh, and we're talking about uh, a truly seminal piece that I think he has written, uh, in which he makes the case that uh, perhaps the electoral fix is already in. Perhaps the next presidential election is going to be decided not at the ballot box, but uh, in the courts. Matt, I want to go back to something you said a few minutes ago. Uh, you were referring to no labels uh, and also to the independent candidacy uh, of Robert F. Kennedy. Uh, in my opening, uh, I mentioned that Robert Kennedy's now talking about potentially uh, seeking the Libertarian Party nomination, which from a practical point of view I can understand because it would give him access to about 30 state ballots uh, automatically and then he could 
use his uh, resources to petition his way on the ballot in the balance of the states. But based on a great interview that I saw you gave with uh, Walter Kern, uh, the Democratic Party or those who are prominent in it, Mark Elias, uh, David Brock, and others, are already trying to interfere with both no labels, which is a nonpartisan, I should say bipartisan, independent group seeking to get uh, an alternative uh, candidate on the ballot for president, includes Joe Lieberman, a former senator from Connecticut, a friend of mine actually, uh, a great man even though we have many disagreements, uh, and others. Tell us about this effort. Yes, yeah, so uh, no labels, as you mentioned, it's a it's an interesting sort of bipartisan uh, third party effort. It's uh, been building up momentum for about ten years now. Um, it has people like uh, Joe Lieberman and Dr. Ben Chavis, from who is the former head of the, the NAACP, uh, involved, but also has um, the former Republican governor of uh, North Carolina uh, involved, um, and and other figures, and they got hold of a, um, a tape in which uh, there were a number of uh, advocacy groups meeting um, and a number of sort of lawyers that were linked to the Democratic Party. Who They had a Zoom meeting uh, last year in which they were discussing what to do about no labels, and there's uh, an extraordinary quote where one of them says, we have to get the message out that uh, if anybody uh, gets involved with this, if you have one fingernail clipping of a skeleton in your closet, we will find it. Uh, if you think you were vetted when you ran for governor, you're insane. That was nothing. We will come at you with every gun we can possibly find. Um, and they put all this in a letter to the Department of Justice. There's a long list of harassment incidents involving this, this party. And that's just one front in a long campaign of trying to use lawyers and the courts to exclude uh, political opposition uh, in this election cycle. I, I think it's unprecedented. Uh, we obviously, it obviously happened with people like Ralph Nader in the past, but this is, uh, this is something new to go after everybody in all directions. Yeah, it has definitely happened in the past. Uh, for example, in 2012, uh, former New Mexico Governor Gary Johnson, who actually for president in that cycle because I candidly couldn't stomach Mitt Romney, uh, was uh, barred from the ballot by lawsuits uh, in, I think it was Oklahoma and Michigan, I believe it was. Oklahoma, strangely enough, has never had a third or independent party candidate allowed on their ballot since 1962. By the way, it was, in both those cases, it was the Republicans who objected to Governor Johnson being on the ballot. Uh, personally, I'm opposed to this whether it's Republicans or Democrats. I think uh, people should have a full range of choices. Uh, but as I said in the beginning, there is a, there is a catch-22 to it. Uh, so believing you can get on the ballot, uh, I've been predicting sometimes that Democrats, and probably before it's over, Republicans, uh, will work to remove any alternative from the ballot, whether it's Robert Kennedy or whether it's uh, a, a no-labels candidate. I guess the the big question for me is no labels needs a candidate. They need somebody with a name, someone with a national profile. Do you think they have anybody, or do you think they will find anyone? 
Yeah, I asked that question. They they didn't give me an answer. Um, I you know I, I don't I don't think they're ready to commit to uh, anybody as yet. But in this environment, ballot access is worth its weight in gold. And um, if they do manage to get uh, on 32 or 34 states, which is what they're predicting, uh, and they will have a theoretical chance to get to the 270 number. Uh, for electoral votes, then uh, they will be able to offer somebody the opportunity to run for president. And I, I think, you know, so somebody will emerge. Um, it could even be one of the major party candidates. That's not excluded either. But um, but so far, what's, what's interesting about it is just the absolute determination to prevent uh, this group from doing this before anyone even knows what the supposed violations are, uh, you know, people like Mark Elias um, and American Bridge. There have already been news stories about them being hired to look into filing technical um, complaints against this group before anyone even knows what the complaints are, which is backwards. I mean, I don't think that's the way that the courts are supposed to work. So it's great. no, it's uh, but. Uh, the- there are law firms in New York State, I can tell you, whose specialty is knocking people off the ballot. It's a it's mm-hmm. a dirty, dirty process. All right, I'm afraid we have to leave it there. Let me thank my guest, Matt Taibbi, independent journalist. Please go to racket.news and subscribe to his great Substack feed. Uh, he is a great reporter. He is always breaking news. You want to go there and subscribe today. Matt, thank you so much for making yourself available.